Good morning once again, and thank you for being with us. I'm not sure if I introduced myself. My name is Craig. I'm the senior pastor here, and it is our privilege to have you with us this morning as we do begin our march toward Christmas. Uh, just one quick announcement. Tonight we have an event here, an outdoor movie night. Uh, we're showing a Christmas movie. We'll have hot chocolate. I uh, have just been informed that my expectations were too low. It's apparently going to be really good hot chocolate with warm milk because we have to have that or the children are going to have enough rising. Um, but uh, we'll have uh, hot chocolate and popcorn and s'mores and all those other things. We'd love for you to be with us. Invite friend. Our whole goal and desire is that we can kick off the Christmas season with our community uh, tonight. So that'll start at 6 o'clock tonight. We'd love to have you be a part of that. Um, the other thing that I would remind you of is out front, you can pick up a copy of uh, Home for the Holidays Advent Guide that I've written that we've published here uh, at Malvern Hill. Uh, those are available for you, uh, one per family. If you've got a family member or a friend that you believe could just be blessed uh, by a tool that would help them to grow closer to Christ this Christmas season, grab one for them, mail it to them, take it to them, give it to them. Um, today, we begin a sermon series, and I'll be preaching through um, sermons that are related to the book. We're going to hope and encourage that you as a family would sit down. So uh, the first uh, week of devotions begins today. There are five devotions uh, per week and some activities involved. So all that stuff is in, in the book. So I hope that you'll do that as a family. Uh, for my family, we won't be able to do that till this evening. There's no opportunity for us to do that on Sunday mornings. I'm gone before they wake up. But uh, hopefully, uh, as a family, you'll have some opportunity and time over the next few weeks to spend around uh, your den or your kitchen table growing closer to Jesus Christ together. All right, having said that, uh, this morning we're going to be from the book of Jeremiah. So we've been in the book of Acts for quite some time, but for our Advent series, we'll be jumping around to several different passages of Scripture. And this morning, we're going to be in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, if you can't find it, kind of turn to the middle of your Bible. If you find yourself in the Psalms, keep going. You haven't quite made it there. If you find yourself in, um, in uh, the New Testament, you've gone a little bit too far. But Jeremiah is one of those big uh, prophetic books that you'll find uh, just after the Psalms and before you get to the New Testament. Jeremiah chapter 29, we're going to read verses 10 through 14. And contained in this is a passage of scripture that many of you, a verse that many of you are going to be well aware of. All right, hopefully we've given you time to get there. I'm going to ask you if you would to stand with me in honor of God's word. And I'm going to read to you Jeremiah chapter 29 beginning in verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Let's pray together. Father God, as we embark on our journey toward Christmas today, I pray that we would find hope in Jesus Christ, that we would be reminded of the hope that is stored up for all who would call upon his name, that, Father God, even if we walked in here today, Lord God, hopeless that we could leave today with a flickering light of hope within our hearts. Bless us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Where do you find hope? Hopelessness is a big thing. It was rivalry weekend yesterday. Many of us prayed for hope of one form or another. That's all I'll say, right? Everybody was hoping that something would work out. 
Some people had their hopes dashed on the rocks and others were able to celebrate. I'm talking mostly about Texas A&M and LSU. But um, where do you find hope? What's really funny is I really anticipated preaching this sermon hopeless. You know, you know what I mean? Hopelessness. Hopelessness along with loneliness and depression tops many lists of mental health struggles in our culture today. But what is hopelessness? It's sort of one of those words that people throw around, but maybe you haven't taken the time to consider what it actually means. Maybe to determine what hopelessness is, it's best to determine what hope is. What does it mean to have hope? I came across a couple of definitions this week. Hope is a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. So I hope that it's going to be that way. Or perhaps to want an outcome that makes your life better. So when we think about what hopelessness is, we probably understand or define hopelessness this way. It's a feeling that life is not going to get any better. Or the belief that what you're experiencing right now is about as good as it's going to get. That you're just kind of stuck in a rut and you can't find any way out of that rut. Folks, as we've gathered this morning, I'm curious, do you struggle to believe that your life could actually improve? Do you struggle to believe that your life could actually improve? Christmas is, I mean, we're, we're in the middle of my favorite time of the year. I, I, it doesn't get any better for me than this. Once we get Halloween out of the way, I'm a happy human, right? Halloween just gets in the way of all the good stuff as far as I'm concerned. But once we get to this place, it's just filled with joy. And yet, for a lot of folks, the holidays are filled with angst and, and with depression and with hurt and with pain. And, and there's some of you that have wandered in today, and you really do. You struggle to believe that your life could improve. You find yourself sort of in a hole. And you go, you know what? It just won't get any better than what I have. And this is just, this is just the ooh that I'm going to have to live with for the rest of my life. I want you to know this morning that you can have hope. I want you to know that no matter how it is that you walked in here today, you can leave with hope. And this morning, I want, you to help, I want to help you figure out where you can find it. Number one this morning, I want you to know that you can find hope in God's promise for you. You can find hope in God's promise for you. Jeremiah 29 is a passage written by, yes, right, the, the prophet Jeremiah, to uh, a group of exiles. Exiles means they've been kicked out of their land. These, these are not like the refugees that we see fleeing from Ukraine. These exiles have been removed from their, from their homeland by the Babylonians. They've been picked up and moved to a different place. So they're exiles in Babylon. Um, and Jeremiah had been warning them that this was coming. Jeremiah was not well loved, right? You can imagine being the guy that's standing up saying, destruction, destruction, doom and gloom. Everybody hated Jeremiah. And then when they finally were overrun by Babylon, Jeremiah writes them a letter and goes, I mean, I told you this was coming, but since you're here, I want to help you figure out how to navigate these waters. And so Jeremiah 29 is a letter that Jeremiah writes to those who are in captivity in Babylon. And in the middle of that letter, Jeremiah gives them some hope. In the middle of, of their mess and their struggle, Jeremiah offers them a, a little flickering candle of hope. And in that, he says that there are some promises. Thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed from Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. I want you to know that just like those who have been taken into exile in Babylon could find hope in God's promise Thousands of years ago, you can find hope in God's promise 
today. You can find hope in God's promise today because God promises to deliver you from your destruction. Did you know that? God promises to deliver you from your destruction. You say, Craig, I don't feel like I'm in the middle of destruction. Let me explain a couple of things to you. Sin is an act of rebellion against God. That's what sin is at its core. Sin says, hey, or, or, or we tend to say in our sin, I don't need you, God, to tell me what to do. I can do my own thing. In other words, sin, though, is not just rebellion against God. It's, it's also rebellion against God's created purpose. Now, remember, if God is our creator and we are rebelling against our creator and against his created purposes for our life, then we are in actuality, living our lives in such a way that we are destructive in our pattern of living. Sin is self-destructive. Sin is self-destructive in this life and in, this, and in the life to come. But we have a promise from God that he will deliver us from our self-destruction. You don't believe me? Just consider John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. If the wages of sin is death, and if sin does indeed separate us from God and set us on a path of self-destruction, excuse me, self-destruction, then the very fact that God has created a way for us to gain eternal life tells us that God's promise for us is bigger than anything we could have hoped for. God has a promise, and that promise is that whoever would call upon the name of the Lord can be saved can be forgiven, can be set right. God's promises are available to all who would call upon his name. Do you know that? Do you know that? Like literally, it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from. It doesn't matter if this is the first time you've ever warmed the seat of a church or if this is the thousandth time you've warmed the seat of a church and you've been living in active rebellion and all of those times. I want you to know that there is hope for you, there is forgiveness for your sins if you will call upon the name of the Lord. Do you struggle to have hope? Do you struggle to believe that anyone could love you or help you or much less even forgive you? Forgiveness is a hard thing. Can I be honest with you? Some of you struggle to believe that you could be forgiven because you refuse to forgive others. Some of you struggle to be forgiven because you refuse to ask for forgiveness from others. Pride is destructive. Pride is destructive for many reasons. But one of the reasons that pride is destructive is because in our pride, we refuse to admit our wrongs and ask for forgiveness from the Lord and from those people that we love. See, sin separates us from God and from the people that we love. Imagine a person that's unfaithful in their marriage. In that place, they've sinned against the Lord, but they've also sinned against their spouse. And in the middle of that sin, they've created a barrier that separates them from the people that they love. And yet there is hope because the promise of God's word is that if we would humble ourselves and pray and ask for forgiveness, he will actually forgive us. It's an incredible gift that he offers. 1 John 1, 9 promises, If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Who is the you here? It's whoever will. Do you understand that? It's a wide invitation. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord can enjoy and experience these promises that God 
has given to us. Do you struggle to have hope today? I want to encourage you to find hope in God's promises. And I want you to hear me. Listen, God's promises for you. See, a lot of times we can read God's word and we go, well, it's sort of this thing. But never forget that those promises are given to everybody else are also offered to you directly. God so loved you that he gave his one and only son that if you believe in him, you should not perish but have everlasting life. That promise is there for you. Would you reach out and claim it? What was the promise that Jeremiah offered to these people? For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill my promise and bring you back to this place. If you've not spent much, time, spent much time in God's word, you might not be aware of the prophecy wrapped up in this. It's pretty incredible that about the time they're taken off into captivity, Jeremiah, this prophet that everybody hated, writes them a letter and goes, you're going to be in captivity for 70 years. But at the end of that 70 years, God's going to fulfill his promise. Now, his promise to them was that he was going to reach out and take them from all the places where they've been sent. He's going to bring them back home. But Jeremiah is so bold and so trusting and so confident in God's word and in God's promises that Jeremiah actually puts a date on it. Listen, I don't like putting dates and deadlines on anything, right? My my wife says, will you fix that light? And I go, I will fix that light. Please don't ask me when because I don't want to give an answer for when. I don't want to be held accountable for when I'm going to get that done. I know it's not nice. It's just true, you know. I mean, Christmas is coming. Your kids are like, can I have that? And we like to say, yes, at some point we can do that. When? Oh, no, I'm not backing myself into that corner, right? One day. And yet Jeremiah says in 70 years. Now, look, what we know historically is that 70 years after Jeremiah wrote this, God fulfilled that promise. So what we have is not just that God's promises are true and good, but that we can trust in God because he knows the beginning from the end. He knows the future before it comes to pass because he orchestrates these things. God can fulfill his purposes and his promises to you because God is in control. Do you struggle to believe your life could improve? Find hope in God's promises for you. And even when it's hard, let me encourage you. Imagine being in exile in Babylon. Do you believe these people had it easy? Jeremiah sends them this letter and he goes, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. And they go, really? Now you tell us? We've been carried off here in chains. We've been disgraced and embarrassed. Some of you walk in and you say, Craig, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've done or where I am. Listen, you've not been carried off in chains, naked from your homeland and drunk to a foreign place and then heard God say, trust me. You're here in a climate-controlled environment, gathered with people that you know and love. And in this place, I'm telling you that God's promises are for you. And you can trust him. Number two this morning, I want you to find hope in God's plan for you. You say, Craig, is a promise and plan the same thing? Sort of. Let's, let's parse it out just a little bit. Do you, have, do you have those people in your life that you just trust? I mean, I mean those 3 a.m. people in your life. I hope you do. I hope you have some of those 3 a.m. Those, those people that you know you could call at 3 a.m. And once they woke up, they wouldn't be mad that you called if you needed them. I had a call uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, from a, a friend, and, and it all went into a circle where I made a phone call to recommend a guy um, for a football coaching position. 
And I, I made that recommendation without any reservation. No reservation at all. I happen to know somebody that could make a, 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 some decisions related to a, a, a position this guy might be interested in. I called him. I said, you only need to make one phone call, and this is the guy you need to call. He said, you're that confident? I said, there's nobody in the state of South Carolina you should call before you call this man. He said, Craig, I trust you, but why should I trust, trust him? I said, because if I call him at 3 a.m., he'll get in his car and come to where I am just like you would. Do you have those kind of people that you can trust that much that you just give unqualified recommendations, that you can just put your name on the line and, and, and go to bat for them? Do you have those people that you trust so much, those street fight people? I like to talk about those folks. Who are those? Those are the people that when everything went bad, that's the person you call, right? Some of y'all, if you don't have one, you need to have a few of those. You need to have those people that will meet you in a dark alley without any answers or explanation because you need them to be there. You need some of those people in your life. I want you to know that you can have hope and trust in God's plan. You can trust in God's plan for your life. God is that 3 a.m. phone call. Now, I talked about this in a sermon several weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago. It really seemed to hit home to a lot of you. If, if you'll remember, uh, for those of you that were here, we, we talked about how we, we tend to not trust God's plan because we believe that somehow or other God's going to throw us a curveball and mess everything up, you know? That, that if we ask Him for something good, that, that the Lord is just going to find some sick pleasure in giving us the things that we don't want. And, 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 and we talked about how, as a father, if, if my child comes to me and they say, I, I'd really like that brand new bicycle out there, I, unless I'm just some wicked, evil human, I, I don't find a sick pleasure pleasure in taking the things that my children would enjoy and in not giving them what they would desire. There are bad fathers in the world. I, I, I knew a man once. His kid asked for a basketball goal for Christmas and he got him a basketball goal for Christmas but to teach him a lesson the kid didn't ask for the pole. This is no lie. And he didn't buy the pole that the goal went on. You might not be surprised to learn that that young man didn't grow up to amount to a whole lot when he had a father that treated him that way. Our Heavenly Father is not waiting for us to mess up so He can pull the rug out from under us. His plans for you can be trusted. God offers you hope in a future. Go back and read Jeremiah 29, 11 with me. Some of you memorize this if you grew up in church. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare or hope and not for evil to give you a future and hope or, or welfare that's good and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Folks, can I be honest with you? Some of you are hopeless because you bought the lie that God doesn't have anything good to offer and the only hope you can find is in the world around you. You're hopeless because you've refused to trust in God's plan for you and you have insisted upon trusting in your plan. Men, I need to speak directly to you because it's Christmas and you're going to be putting something together at some point soon. It's going to be a piece of furniture or maybe a toy. Guys, we're going to all throw away the instructions and you're going to break something, okay? Because you thought you knew better than the instructions. Just read the instructions, guys. Just do it. I promise. It'll be okay. I know you have to swap your man card out just for a minute. I'm, I'm going to tell you something, though. 
Your wife doesn't look down on you when you read the instructions. It's just the rest of us guys. So if you don't tell us, we'll have no idea that you did it. And she'll be so proud that you are willing to humble yourself enough to sort through the 78 languages that those instructions are written in. And to put that thing together by following the instructions. Believe it or not, the person that designed that piece of furniture actually knows better than you how it's supposed to go together. Some of you are hopeless because you tried to find hope in yourself or in what this world has to offer. The people to whom Jeremiah was writing were hopeless. But they were hopeless for this reason. They had hoped in themselves and the gods and the idols of the world around them. They had refused to trust in the Lord. As a matter of fact, back at the beginning of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is going to say to them, he says, y'all believe that because the temple is here that you can sort of say, well, we've got the temple and everything's going to be okay. It was kind of like believing that, well, my grandpa was a good man and so everything's going to be all right. Or my grandma was in the church, so everything's going to be okay. And Jeremiah says, don't say, oh, the temple, the temple. The temple will not save you. Only the Lord can save you. Folks, showing up at church is not some magic talisman that gives you a get-out-of-jail-free card. The fact that your grandpa was a deacon doesn't save you from anything. The fact that your great-uncle was a preacher doesn't help you at all. Some of you have no hope because the only thing you've hoped in is your own abilities and they continue to run out and fail you. Your plans lead you to destruction. When God removed his hand of protection, Israel was overrun by their enemies. Some of you are being overrun by hopelessness and depression because you have run away from God's hand of protection. You've run away from God's plan. Listen, we need to take a breather right here. Because it can be real easy to hear me speaking and assume that I have no empathy or sympathy for you in these hard places. All of us know what it is at some point in our life to run away from God's good plans and instructions and to find ourselves living separated from the Lord. To find ourselves living in a place of hopelessness or despair. I'm not here to beat you up because your life is hard or it hasn't gone the way you hoped. I'm here to offer you a hope and a future in Jesus Christ. I want you to know that His plan for you is better than your plan and you can trust it. Some of you have decided that your relationships are your business and not God's. That your entertainment choices are the same as those of the world. And you're not even concerned with whether or not the things that you watch should or should not glorify the Lord. Let me just throw this out there. If the TV shows that you're streaming day in and day out and week in and week out are the same things that the non-believers in your life are streaming day in and day out and week in and week out, you are not honoring God with your entertainment choices. If you're streaming nudity into your home, you're not honoring the Lord. I don't care if everybody else has watched it. If you're streaming gratuitous violence into your home, you're not honoring the Lord. And it doesn't matter if everybody else has watched it. Because what matters is whether or not I'm honoring the Lord with my life and with my choices. Parents... Are your decisions for your children indistinguishable from those of your non-Christian friends? 
It's Christmas. What video games are you going to purchase for your children? I'll just be totally honest. I'll walk through our children's building every once in a while, and I have little kids talking to me about the, the mature-rated video games that their mom and daddy bought for them to play. Have you lost your mind at this point? Think about this. Like, we're not talking about Christian pastors that got together and said, let's rate this what we think they should do. We're talking about a secular, non-Christian organization that sets these ratings. Do you know how those things work? They're, they're a group of parents and, and other citizens. They, they have to actually have children to be a part of these ratings committees. And they rate these video games and these movies. Folks, if it achieves an R rating and your third graders watching it, you need to be asking the question, what in the world are you doing? We need to allow our children to be children as long as we can. Protect their innocence. You're saying, my world's spinning out of control. Everything feels crazy. I'm, I'm hopeless with my children. What are you doing to give them hope? Are you trusting in God's plans for the way that you should formulate your family and raise them? Or have you decided that you're going to trust in your own desires? Folks, we wonder how in the world our life isn't going as well as we had hoped. And why we find ourselves without hope. But in the middle of all this, we look at God's plan and we have just done that. Looked at it and walked away. How many of you went Black Friday shopping this week? Anybody? That's good. I'm proud of y'all. I didn't. It was, it was a big letdown for me this year. I didn't do much. But I did go to Lowe's. I did. Right? And you know what I did? I looked at a lot of things and then I just walked out and didn't buy a thing. Turns out I didn't need anything they had to offer. I wanted a few things, but I didn't need anything. Y'all, some of you have shopped in God's story, and you've seen God's plans, and you've left them on the shelf, and you've walked out to that thing that you desired. You say, why is this not working out the way I wanted it to? Folks, I'm here to tell you it's working out exactly the way that you planned for it to. You might not like the end result, but you chose the plans. Folks, when you're thinking about how you want your life to work, to look, to be, we've actually got to do some reverse engineering. We've got to look at the goal and then back out of that goal. How are we going to get there? And if I desire to enjoy the blessings and privileges that God has stored up for his people, then I've got to look at that, that end result and then back out of it. Lord, how should I get to that place? And he's told us, hasn't he? He has a plan for us. You can trust his plan. And finally this morning, I want you to find hope in God's place for you. Jeremiah told the Israelites in exile that God was going to bring them back to the promised land. That's pretty awesome. Now, 70 years is a long time. But there were at least parents who knew that their children and grandchildren would get to walk back down the roads that they loved so much. They were living in exile in Babylon, but God was not finished. God has a plan and a place. Listen to me. Jesus promises a special place for all of his children. He has a place for you. John 14, 6 is my absolute favorite verse to read at funerals. Because Jesus says, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, then I will come again. He goes on and says, in my father's house are many rooms. We traveled for Thanksgiving. I went to my father's house. Several years ago, my parents added on to their house. And they added on to their house for one reason and one reason only. So that when 
All the family came home. There was room for everybody. That's the only reason they did it. Most people get close to retirement and they start downsizing. And my parents made a bigger house. Because they wanted there to be room for us to all come home. My dad wanted to wake up and see my smiling face. Can you imagine? It really wasn't me. It was my wife and children. But uh, I get the privilege of still having a warm place to lay my head. Some of you heard me say this before. The King James is an unfortunate translation of that passage. It says, in my father's house are many mansions. It's an unfortunate translation because we, we view that as like God's prepared for me a big old mansion. And it's just up there with Craig's name on it. It's so much better than that. What he says is in the house of my father are many rooms. And Jesus says, and I am going there and I want to bring you home with me. I want to wake up and see your smiling face. I want to have breakfast with you. I want to drink coffee on the porch in my father's house. There's room for you. This is so exciting because it's not just for me, it's for you. There's room and he desires to have you with him. There's a future plan for God's people to be with him in his place. Watch. The kingdom of God is this. It's the people of God in the place of God under the rule and the blessing of God. A shorter way to say that would be God's place for you to Excuse me. God's people can be found in his place under his rule and his blessing. In my father's house... On holidays, the people that are under that roof all share the same family lineage. We are brothers and cousins and aunts and uncles. That's who we are. We are my father's people in that place. And there is laid up for all of God's people a place. But what if I told you you didn't have to wait? Some of you are like, well, that's great, Craig, but I hope to live another 40 years. What's in it for me? The only thing you've told me is that God's got a promise and a plan, but then he's got a place way off down there somewhere. What if I told you you didn't have to wait? What if there's laid up for you today, not only a place of rest and reward, but there is a place for you today. And there is, and watch this, God's place for you today is in the midst of his people. In other words, God's place for you today is right in the middle of his church. See, church feels really awkward to some of you. Maybe because I'm up here. I'm not sure. I'm a little different. It would have been nice if y'all had laughed. Let <laughs> me feel a little self, self-conscious. Church is awkward for some, and this is why. Because you bought the lie that the world has for you. And you believe that this life in pursuit of Christ and holiness, you, you believe that a life that is wrapped up with obedience to this word is somehow weird and that the church, or excuse me, the world outside is normal. Church feels awkward for some of you because you bought the lie that the broken world as you know it is normal. But what if God has greater plans? Let's go back to Jeremiah. Remember, they've wandered in Babylon. They're going to be there for 70 years. 70 years. 
Now, Jeremiah's going to say to them, you're going to be here for a while. So the people that were there, they, they got there, and they're like, we ain't going to be here long. And so we're just going to hang out, and then maybe next year or something, we'll go home. Today, we call that Stockdale Syndrome. Um, uh, Colonel Stockdale was the, 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 the high-ranking uh, officer in the Hanoi Hilton. Many of you um, military folks would know this story, but he was the highest-ranking officer there. Shot down over Vietnam, I believe the story serves me right. And there he, he was asked, so he, he was there for nearly ever, it seemed like to him. And he, but he was asked, how, who, who survived and who didn't? And, and, and here's what he said. He said, the optimists did not survive. They, they died in prison camps. He said, and, and because they died because they kept saying, well, well by... By Easter, we'll be out of here. And then Easter would pass. They go, well, by the 4th of July, we'll be, we'll be home. And the 4th of July would pass. And finally, they just died of a broken heart. He said it was, it was the realists who made it out. The people who said, this is where we are, and we got to make the most of the place that we're in. Jeremiah wrote to them, and he said, you are in exile because you have chosen to not honor the Lord. See, some of you are living in exile today in Babylon because you've chosen to not honor the Lord. And your life feels hopeless. But here's what Jeremiah went on to say to him. He said, I, I want you to know that God still has a plan and a place. He says, but until you get there, here's what you're going to do. You're going you're to plant gardens and build houses. You're going to seek the welfare of the people around you. Jeremiah says, I want you to live for the glory of God and the place where God has you today. Because believe it or not, until such time as he takes you back home, you can be God's people in that place. Church feels awkward for some of you. You're wondering where in the world we're going with that, right? Watch. 70 years. That means that there are going to be children and grandchildren born in Babylon who have never known Jerusalem. There will be children and grandchildren born in Babylon who will begin to believe that Babylon is their home because it's the only thing they've ever known. There will be children and grandchildren who will hear the stories of hope who will not believe in it because the only thing they've known is a foreign land. Some of you are living in the foreign land of your sin and rebellion and it's difficult for you to believe that there is something better in God's plans and purposes. It's difficult for you to believe that the church, a church, could actually be a place of hope and comfort and solace. That a church that would call upon you to turn from your sin and walk with Jesus to turn from everything that you've known and to trust Christ. It's difficult for you to believe that that could be hopeful or joyful or fulfilling. And you only believe that, you refuse to believe it because you've lived so long wandering in the foreign land of your sin that you don't know the joys of Jerusalem. You don't know the joys of the promised land. You've wandered in Babylon and you've seen what Babylon has to offer and you've forgotten how beautiful God's people and God's place can be. But watch. God has not forgotten you. 
See, that's, that's, the, that's the big part of the story. Seventy years later, they're going to be brought home. Some of them are going to have forgotten what the temple looked like. They're going to have forgotten what Jerusalem looked like. They're going to have forgotten what the promised land looked like. But God has not forgotten. Some of you have forgotten. But God hasn't forgotten you. So I ask you this morning, will you find hope today? I am... I do a decent amount of counseling. I have people that walk in for all sorts of reasons. Sometimes they're just really battling with depression or, 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 or marital struggles. Do you, do you know that the number one indicator of people who overcome is that they desire to. Usually when somebody walks into my office and they share with me their, their struggles perhaps with their marriage, I, I ask the same question repeatedly. I, I say, do you want to stay married? Do you want to see this marriage repaired? And, and generally I get like this deer in the headlights. Look, like why would you ask me that question? Well, I mean, the truth of the matter is if you don't want to be married, I'm wasting my time and you're wasting yours. If you're just in here because you would, you, you're trying to satisfy somebody else, you won't get there. But if you actually desire to get out of your mess and into the hope that Christ offers, there's a chance for you. And so I ask you again this morning, will you, will you find hope? See, throughout this sermon, I've showed you where you can find hope. You can find hope in God's promises. You can find hope in God's plan. You can find hope in God's place for you. The question is really not ultimately where can you find hope. The question is, is will you find it? You say, Craig, you don't understand what you're asking of me. I don't. For some of you to turn to Jesus is to walk away from everything that you've known. For some of you to take that step toward Christ is terrifying. What I do know is this. He has a plan for you. He has a place for you. And his promise is that if you would call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. It's Christmas. And there's hope to be found in Jesus Christ, our Savior. You may have walked in here without any. And perhaps at the end of this sermon, the only thing you have is a flickering candle that says maybe in the middle of this darkness there could be hope for even a sinner like me. I'd love to walk that journey with you. To help you fan into flames that flicker of hope. For you to find your place in the center of God's plans as you experience and enjoy His promises. We're going to stand and sing in just a moment. And as we do, would you respond this morning? If you need hope today, would you come? I'd love to pray with you. Perhaps you come and pray around this altar because you just know that Jesus is the place. Whatever it is, as the Lord leads, would you obey? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you and praise you and thank you. Father, for the one that walked in here hopeless today, Lord, I pray that this message 
hit home. But Lord God, even if it didn't, Father, as we sing, I pray that they would know today there's hope to be found in Christ alone. Help us to serve and honor you, Lord. Move among us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.